The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM. Welcome to the Big Red Bench Women at Sport Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy McCarthy, and on this week's show, my special guest is Republic of Ireland Senior International, Saoirse Noonan, talking international football, her own business, and much, much more. Resident AFLW expert and coach to the stars, Mike Curran, joins me live on the line from Melbourne, Australia, to review this season's AFLW Grand Final won by Melbourne Demons at the expense of the Brisbane Lions. Another hectic weekend on the Munster women's hockey interprovincial and club scenes is reviewed by Munster PRO Graham Catchpole. Cork's Red FM's resident Formula One expert Sarah Mackenzie Foley is on the show to review the 2022 season and give her assessment of the good, the bad and the ugly. Munster Women's Rugby Chairperson Wendy Keenan is back on the bench to review another week of underage and adult women's rugby throughout the province, including news of upcoming Irish Senior Interprovincials and the Six Nations. And finally, the Big Red Bench was on hand to get the winner's immediate aftermatch reaction as Neva Bond qualified for the All-Ireland LGFA Junior Football Final following victory in Balavorny last weekend. That's all to come on this week's Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast. Republic of Ireland Senior International and Barclays Women Championship Durham Women's FC's Saoirse Noonan is this week's VIP guest on the Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast. I spoke to the former Cork City and Shelburne striker about her recent call-up from Vera Poe to be part of the Republic of Ireland Senior International Squad's training week and friendly against Malta, her thriving clothes business, Freedom Clothing and much, much more. Now, it is a real thrill, as always, to be joined on the line here on the Big Red Bench by Republic of Ireland Soccer International and new marketing graduate from MTU. I'm delighted to welcome Saoirse Noonan back to the Big Red Bench. Saoirse, how are you? And congratulations on your recent uh, graduation. I'm very good, Ger. Thanks for having me on again. Not at all. Um, that graduate, that grad, I want to talk about that first because uh, your your line of clothing, Freedom Clothing, uh, which people can find uh, across all social media platforms, is absolutely flying it. And clearly, you know what you're doing because you're now a graduate of the marketing of marketing from MTU. How important was that for people and for younger, maybe younger listeners who know you as a soccer player and a former uh, footballer as well, but as a soccer player like um, in business and how difficult it is to keep business and everything else going. Um, this graduation was a lovely moment for you, obviously, and vindication that your uh, your clothing line and your idea and your passion is going really well for you. Yeah, look, I think um, I wouldn't have got the opportunity to set it up without MTU. Um, a lot of the things I did throughout my four years there have benefited me being able to set up um, Freedom Official Clothing and yeah, look, I kind of set it up as a hobby and now I use it as a business and do it on the side of playing f- football as well and I've always said I think it's really important to have something on the side. I suppose for me growing up, there was never really a proper opportunity for girls to make a proper living out of football. And now I'm one of the lucky ones. I'm sure the kids growing up are going to be even more lucky than me, um, getting even probably bigger wages realistically, more realistic to the boys. Um, but yeah, look, I think it's really important to have that background. And things do change, and unfortunately things do happen in sport. And there is a time that you have to hang up the boots, which hopefully is far, far away. But it does come around and yeah, look, I, I love what I'm doing now and I love that I get to wake up in the morning and go and train as my job. But I do always have that at the back and I come home and do my bit of work and yeah, it breaks a bit of time as well as a footballer. You have to look after yourself and rest after training every day. So it does break that time as well. It certainly does, but it's clearly going well for you because the way you market your product um, on social media I've come across it quite a lot now um, and coming up to Christmas as well everybody should have a good look at Freedom Official Clothing as you said we'll get we'll get the details of where you can find that just before we finish up but um, the modern day footballer 
male or female, uh, you have to have something there when the football stops. I mean, you've got ahead of the curve, I would imagine, a little bit in that you're still so young, but that you've got this grounding now in what you've done with something that you're passionate about, which is clothing. And you've seen, I would imagine, quite a lot of things, good, bad and indifferent on that side, away from the football that you've learned an awful lot as well over the past 12, 24 months. Yeah, for sure. I think um, as well having um, freedom as my own brand and knowing the the work that I have to put in, the efforts probably helped me on the pitch as well because even though I'm working with other girls on the pitch, I basically worked for myself to start freedom and I find that hard and I, I've always been a team person but it just shows that like you have to put in time and effort regardless of what your what your job or what your hobby is going to be because if you don't put it in it won't you won't come back out and I find that hard sometimes to struggle at all but and you have to enjoy what you're doing or it's never going to work because I don't need at any point in wasting time doing stuff that you don't enjoy um because life's too short to be honest and I'll always live by that you have to enjoy it and I think if you put your mind to something go after it and don't stop until you get it and then then you can worry about it if you have consequences etc but yeah look I think setting freedom has definitely been um beneficial to me in all aspects of my life and yeah I love I love doing it and I'm grateful for all the support from everyone and hope that I can carry on doing it for the next couple of years for sure I have absolutely no doubt that you will. Let's talk football because July 20th next year is a huge date on a lot of people's calendars. It is because the opening of the Women's World Cup at a sold-out Sydney football stadium where the Republic of Ireland will take on um, Australia and also take on Canada, the Olympic champions, and Nigeria in a quite difficult group. But the big and the positive news is that the Republic of Ireland under Virapal have reached the World Cup. It's going to be fantastic. It's going to be a lot of hype. Before then, there's an awful lot of work to be done which began with uh, the training camp in Marbella recently and a friendly against Morocco, which you were called up for. Um, now the Moroccans were under strength for that particular game and Ireland won easily 4-0, which was fantastic. It's still a win. It's, it's, it's all important. Tell me, first of all, what you got out of that training camp in Marbella and how important it was to remain in Virapaw's thoughts ahead of next year. Yeah, look, I think every camp that happens, everyone wants to be involved in. And there's a long list of us that have been in and out for the last year. Um, and it's really important that we all kind of keep working hard and so I suppose supporting each other as well, not just fighting for places against each other, but also supporting each other because unfortunately we have seen injuries within the team and other players have had to step in and take on their roles. Um, but yeah, look, I think going to Marbella, we played a behind closed doors game. We played them on the Monday and we got good results and everyone got a run out and yeah, it was really beneficial for everyone, especially to come back together and kind of level the heads again nearly um, and look at the task ahead and that is Australia um, next summer and that is the big goal and we've had a whole calendar made out that I suppose working towards it and working towards what we want to achieve there but yeah look it's an experience that I suppose is going to be probably once in a lifetime maybe um, and one that we have to kind of take with both hands now and enjoy enjoy the build up but also enjoy it, the occasion hopefully um, if we get there but as I said there's a huge a huge list of people and Whoever's on the flight will be the lucky, the lucky twenty three, and the rest, unfortunately, have played their part. But it kind of ends there, unfortunately. But everyone has played a huge part. There's about forty girls, I think, that have played mm. games in this campaign so far, and you have to take everyone um, as important as the other because, as I said, players have stepped in when others have got injured, etc. And you need them all for training, and we're all with each other for nearly two or three weeks at a time. So it is really important to have a nice, t- tight group, and that's what we have. 
Is it too simplistic to say, Saoirse, that the manager has told you just keep scoring goals and doing what you've been doing really well for Durham uh, in England recently? I mean, competition for places, as you said, you're correct, is tough. But you're in probably the most competitive end of the pitch where, there, where there's competition. There's just such a, a dearth of talent there at the moment. It's just the way it is. Is all you can do play to your optimum and keep scoring goals for Durham? I, I mean, is it that simplistic? Or did you get a chance to talk to Vera Paul and talk about what she wants from you between now and then? I wish it was that easy. <laughs> um, no, look, I think um, Vera obviously watches all our games and stuff and we're all different. We're all different players. We all have different um, strengths and we all have different weaknesses. Um, and we've went through it all and she spoke to me and what she wants and I kind of have said back what I think I feel on how I'm doing. And yeah, look, I think it is important to perform for your club every week um, and it is important to score the goals every week and be winning. But there's a lot more to the game and... Um, yeah, we all have to look at that and we all have to look at what works best for, for the team um, and the opposition that we're playing on the day. There's different um, setups we have to play and there's different strengths we have to use. And yeah, look, I think I'm against a really a really hard and talented bunch um, and that's a privilege that I'm up there with them. But I, as you said, I have to keep working, I have to keep scoring and yeah, I'll put my head down and work for the next few months and hopefully hopefully stay within the team and that's the aim and to be on that plane to, to us. I think uh, well I think you're talking yourself down a little bit there because I think your versatility um, and not only just in putting the ball in the back of the net but the link up play I think that's and this is just my own opinion I think it's really improved Saoirse over the last number of months definitely going to Durham has benefited you in my opinion and playing regularly and playing with you know you look you seem happy in Durham I'm a, I mean that's 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 the, th- that's the thing I, it comes across and I think if you're happy in your club, you're certainly going to, that's going to transform onto the much higher and much more difficult international stage, but you can't really do any more than what you're doing at the minute. So, I mean, it, I mean, in that sense, as we said, it's very, very difficult. It's a fan, it's a 23 players are going to get on that plane. I mean, you could put double that at the moment. So, so talented is the pool of Irish international women's soccer players. Um, does the fact that things are going well for you in Durham, I mean, that's not so much a comfort, but it's important and you've got to keep doing that. At least you know what you've got to keep doing. Yeah, for sure. I think, um, as you said, like when you're happy and when you're enjoying what you're doing, it definitely is easier. And I think probably sometimes I get frustrated that I'm not always at the level that I want to be at. And as a footballer, we have we set really high standards for ourselves, I think. But at the end of the day, I'm only here five, six months now. And as you said, I've definitely seen huge improvements. And there's another seven, eight months of the World Cup. And I'm definitely going to be here until then. So, yeah, I need to definitely just keep the head down and keep doing what I'm doing. But every week take it week by week and every game is as important as the next and we know Vera's keeping keeping an eye on all of us but as you said there is a huge a huge um, pool of talented talented players um, and everyone else is doing the exact same playing for their clubs bashing in goals and yeah we're all we all want to see each other do well but we are all competing against each other at the end of the day and um, yeah look it's it's an exciting time and I'm, I'm delighted to be where I am I have to be grateful for where I am right now and just keep keep working hard and I have absolutely no doubt that you will do that because uh, you've always done that and you've, you've never taken a backward step and uh, it's great to see you, uh, it's great to see you happy it's great to see you uh, settled uh, in Durham and scoring a lot of goals that was a big move I, I, and this is the thing Sarah, just to finish up people forget they say oh you're going to Durham like, but you've got to get up from where you are you've got to move you've got to find a place to live you've got to get settled there's complete strangers you've not met them before and then you're expected to just knock into goals week after week and it's a thing with professional footballers male and female I think that you know the fan forgets they go oh yeah just turn up put on the jersey and start scoring serious shit's dead easy it's not there's so much going on 
off the pitch and you've got a business and you want to keep on the international scene I think you've handled it really really well recently and the only way you can handle it as you said is to try and enjoy your football and you clearly are in Durham and it seems to have suited you that move Yeah I think um, definitely coming in with the transition of Durham going from part-time to full-time definitely helped me because being a full-time footballer is a huge a huge ask and it is a huge task and it is all fun and games but at the end of the day our days off are a day after a game where you're still in the gym probably doing recovery so you don't really get a day off as a footballer um, I've never I've never been I haven't had more than two days off since July I have gone home probably two or three times and at one time I can say I'm blessed because I'm I'm getting called into Irish camps and that's when the girls get their three or four days off but at the same time I've moved away from home um, I've never been away from my family for this long so yeah I think I'm looking forward to the Christmas break for sure but there is a lot that goes on behind closed doors and people over here probably do forget that you are away from your family and you have to set up a whole new life and make all new friends etc um, but yeah but it's been an enjoyable one everyone's been absolutely amazing Um and supportive and stuff and yeah look I have enjoyed it and I hope I can keep enjoying it I hope I can keep scoring goals and have more fun because it is it makes it a lot easier to go on training on Tuesday after winning on Sunday so so yeah Excellent stuff well fingers crossed for you between here and the rest of the season I'm delighted you're getting some time off to come back home I know how much you're going to enjoy that and your family as well and your friends over Christmas before we let you go can you tell us where can we find uh, Freedom Official Clothing on social media because if people haven't checked it out they need to so it's on Instagram as freedom underscore official clothing. The website's www.freedomofficialclothing.ie. And there's a Black Friday sale today. Use the code BLACK for 40% off just today. So get on it. Never miss an opportunity. Proper marketing graduate there. Yeah. Uh, international <laughs> footballer and all around good person. Saoirse Noonan, uh, if we don't talk to you between your Christmas, enjoy the festive season and the new year. And fingers crossed for next year. Everybody here in the big red benches behind you and uh, all the best for the future. Cheers, Jer. Same to you. Thank you. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6pm. The 2022 NAB AFLW Season 7.0 is in the record books following last weekend's grand final in which two Irish players, Sinead Goldrick and Blaheen Mackin, played leading roles in helping Melbourne claim their first ever AFLW Premiership at the expense of Orla O'Dwyer's Brisbane Lions. Our resident expert and AFLW Ireland coach to the stars, Mike Curran, joins me on the Big Red Bench, live all the way from Melbourne, Australia, to break down an emotional week on and off the field. Well, it has happened. We've gotten to the end of AFLW Season 7.0. It seems like only yesterday we had AFLW Ireland uh, coach to the stars, uh, Mike Curran, on with us to, to preview the season. And here we are heading towards Christmas. The, uh, we have new premiers crowned. We have the grand final in the books and huge Irish headlines. So no better man to talk to live from Australia in Melbourne than Mike Curran himself. Mike, how are you? Ger, I'm very well. You, you summed it up there. It's hard to believe the season is done and dusted, but what a way it ended this weekend with a, a brilliant grand final. Indeed, a brilliant grand final. Lots of Irish headlines, as I said, but I suppose the, the first headline to come out of it, Mike, and the biggest headline both here and in Australia, where you currently are, Melbourne upsetting the odds somewhat. I know there wasn't much between themselves and Brisbane throughout the season, 0.3%, I think it was, at the end of the, the, and the, and the ladder at the final of regular season. But Melbourne winning their first Premier is big news. It's massive, Jerry. Yeah, as you said, it's their first ever Premiership. Obviously, they were in a grand final just seven months ago and they lost that one. So um, they'll be delighted to get over the line there. But um, yeah, a historic night for the club. I suppose as well as that, they've become the first club now since AFLW has formed to win both a men's and women's Premiership. They wanted to win this one with a long way back. And uh, 
they finally got over the line. You know, they were one of the kind of the foundation clubs. They were the, at the forefront of women's footy way back when there was exhibition games being played in 2016. And um, they've had some legends of the game on their team, including Captain Daisy Pierce. So there was a number of reasons why they wanted to get over the line, but it's never that simple. But they did it yesterday in the grand final, slightly upsetting the odds. But I'll tell you this, um, they won't have seen themselves as massive underdogs. I was a trainer with Demons Thursday night. It was their last session. And I posted about it. There was something in the air. You could just feel it that they weren't going up just to make up the numbers and they were going up with, in, with intent and intensity. And that's what they brought. And yeah, they now have the first premiership. And from, I suppose, from our point of view, we'll get to the nitty gritty of the game in second, but two medals now, absolutely fantastic. Sinead Goldrick and uh, Blahin Mackin, both at different stages of their career, uh, both intriguing stories, but two more AFLW medals coming back to Ireland to bring the total medals won by Irish players to date now to five premiership medals um, in seven seasons. That's some achievement. It is indeed some achievement. And those two Irish players that you've mentioned there, Mike, Sinead Goldrick, first of all, I mean, the first uh, woman to win an All-Ireland senior medal and an AFLW medal, uh, much like her male counterpart, uh, Ty Kennelly, did with Sydney Swans, is a huge headline in itself. But let's start with the story. I think the biggest story with respect to Sinead, and that's a magnificent achievement. We are going to talk about it. Blaheen Mackin and what she did on the day itself. Oh, look, as you say, Goldie's achievement is, is brilliant. And she was probably, without question, the best player in, in the final seven months ago where they lost. So no one more deserving of a medal than, than Goldie. But Blaheen Mackin, it's the, it's the story of the weekend down here in Australia. It's absolutely amazing. You know, um, it's her debut season, as we know. I obviously helped her get out to Australia literally six months ago. She's only been there four months. This is only her 10th game in her debut season. Um, and she scored a goal in the grand final. So that would have been fairy tale enough. Um, she got Melbourne's first goal. And, and in the events of the game, as we look through the game, probably the turning point in the game, to be honest, a brilliant goal for Blaheim Mackin. I was watching the game with her mom, Frida, her sister, Amy, who we all know well, her brother, Connor, also a county footballer with our ma big family support out there so it was a huge occasion uh, for Blaheim Mackin but it, it did not phase her in the slices and this is what we love about her and that's just her character and her personality she just went out there and killed it and um, got a premiership medal uh, you know it's hard to believe it in her first season in her first grand final and uh, played a big part in it with that goal she was decked in Ireland tricolours, Armagh flags, Shane O'Neill's jerseys. She had the family brought out the full remit of um, of Kiss for after the match, but it was absolutely fairy tale stuff. You know that that is the only way to describe. In Blahin's case, it's a fairy tale, and people in here in Melbourne are describing it as such as well. For someone to come across so late, remember she was due to come out mm, after right. Armagh exited the LGFA Championship. She was delayed for a further four weeks due to visa complications. So she was sitting in her mat when she could have been out in preseason. Uh, so she still only got about two or three weeks preseason and um, a very short start. Took a couple of games to get into it at the start of the season, but by God, she's been on an upward trajectory for the last five or six weeks and taking off completely in, during the final series. So in such a time frame, it's unheard of, you know, from a, a player to go from uh, signing as a rookie to to debuting, to getting to a grand final and to winning a premiership. It is absolutely the story of the year. It is by far the story of the year and it should be one of the stories of the year here as well in the sporting spectrum and the national side of things before the year ends and hopefully that will be the case. But a word too for uh, Sinead Goldrick, somebody I know you have a lot of time for and respect for and I certainly have as well. Blahin's story is fairy tale stuff uh, to do it in such a short period of time as you've outlined there and to make such an impact. But 
Goldrick, uh, Mike, it, she is the epitome of Melbourne. And as you said, like in, getting over the heartache of losing, having played so well in the previous, you know, grand final, to put in that performance, and she needed to along with Blaine because it was such a tight game all the way through. You know, they're the big day, they're the big game players, Michelle Goldrick and, and Blaine Mack, and they're not the only ones on the Melbourne team, but they were the big game players, and they they showed up when it mattered most in what was a really tight final. But they do, and look, that's what Goldie does day in, day out, whether it's AFLW or LGFE. You know, she's one of the most competitive persons I've ever met. Melbourne will tell you the same. Like, she's absolutely ferocious at training, at the ball, her intensity off halfback, that halfback position that she's made her own there. Like, she's slightly different story. Been there for four seasons, played around 30 games. I think the grand final was her 31st game. Um, one of the unsung heroes for Melbourne, like, Melbourne's title win is built on their defence. have no doubt about it. And she's one of the key parts of that defence. And she's been doing it week in and week out, round in, round after the other for the last four seasons. She doesn't quite get the credentials because she's a defender. And she, um, it, it, it often doesn't come across in the stat sheets of that. But by God, they know her work down here. And she is a competitor. Nobody wants to play against her and everybody wants to play with her. And, you know, that competitive edge that has taken her through all Ireland's and, and through a brilliant career on both sides of, of the hemisphere at this stage, has gotten her a well-deserved medal. As you said, like to play in the grand final seven months ago with her mom and dad, Seamus and Mary, flown over for that one. She was without question the best player in the day. That would be um, no good to her and, and she'll have seen no grace in that without uh, getting over the line for the team. So absolutely brilliant. Yeah, what a career Sinead Goldrick has had and couldn't be happier for anybody to win a, a premiership medal. But to see her do it alongside Blaheen and, and to win two in the one day, that's not been done before and, and that's some achievement and especially in a Melbourne team winning their maiden um, premiership as well. So it's all a fantastic story and a fantastic end to the season. It certainly is and what a season it was for Melbourne on Brisbane's coattails right the way through and back and forth uh, the two probably the two most consistent teams getting to the grand final the grand final itself Mike 19-15 on paper looks like a really low scoring possibly defence dominated game that wasn't necessarily the case but it was dogged it was physical it was everything we thought it'd be but would a high like would it have suited Brisbane for it to become a high scoring shootout rather than the way it did or did, did it matter in the end? You know what? I don't think it matters because these two teams are so similar uh, across the board in how they play, how they're structured, um, and how they normally win out games. So in this case, look, the scoreline was low, but the, the the contest was ferocious from the very start. And if you put, if you think that in the first quarter, Brisbane got off to a flyer, they got two goals in that first quarter, and for a little while at the stadium, it looked like, whoa, Brisbane are going to run away with this on home turf here. And that's what they have a habit of doing. So they went in two goals up to, to uh, behind at quarter time. Traditionally, the second quarter is Brisbane's strongest quarter. They have only lost two second quarters all season across 14 games. So you're thinking they're going to come out and have this done and dusted by half time. So to Melbourne's credit, you know, they showed great um, mental strength and trust in their systems and intent to come back out in that second quarter and turn the tide. But it was a dogfight. It was ferocious. And Brian Mackin's goal in that second quarter was possibly the turning point in the game. Um, it got Melbourne back to within five points at half time, but there was, there was never more than that in it again after that. You know, it was intense stuff, totally dominated by defences on both sides, uh, without question. Um, the third quarter then, we saw a goal from Taylor Harris. You know, as you, you're mentioning, the big players standing up on the big days, Taylor Harris, one of the all-time stars of AFLW, um, playing in her fourth grand final for her third different team, never having won one. 
she got the goal that um, put Melbourne two points ahead going into the, the final quarter. And everybody, everybody was on the edge of their, ste- their seats in the Brighton Homes Arena. You know, only two points in it. It was tense. No fans could watch it from either side of the fence. But to Melbourne's credit, once they got in there with their nose in front, they haven't conceded a goal in the final quarter since round four. So again, that's about 10 games ago. So they are brilliant at managing a game and closing out a game. And while I couldn't say I was confident, I was quietly confident that they were going to keep their nose in front and hung on. But it didn't make it any more enjoyable. Literally right to the final siren. Nobody knew how this game was going to go. And when the siren went, the stadium erupted because there was a sizable contingent of Melbourne people that, that uh, flew up to Brisbane for the weekend. So, yeah, um, you might have expected a higher scoring game, but I don't think it negatively impacted either team uh, because they both play such a similar style. And it just was a day that defences were fully on top on both sides and defences were brilliant. And it certainly didn't make it any less of a spectacle. It certainly didn't. And just one last thing on it, Mike, because we did touch upon it. The fact that the Brighton's home arena was the venue for like the, the, the a grand final and like the capacity was just, I think it was close to 7,500 in the end. It, it was, is, there, is there much, you know, kickback on that or the fact that has there been much uh, on, in Australia on the fact that, you know, this, this such an important and huge match at the end of such a terrific season deserved a better setting and I don't mean to be disrespectful to the Brighton Homes Arena and what it is but surely for a grand final um, certainly in this side of the world I would have imagined anyway that we'd have been looking at three, four times that capacity of attendance you know, for a grand final. Has there been much talk about that since? since? Not a whole lot here. I, I think look at it, I suppose it's as per any game, it's the same for both teams. In terms of the pitch itself and the surface, right I was actually talking to Craig Starsvich, the Lions coach afterwards and he just mentioned that the the ground was a little bit dull like it, and it didn't have the same speed and explosion off it that it normally would have and he felt that's what impacted the game in terms of low scoring. Now, you could say that that hindered Brisbane a bit but equally it would hinder Melbourne because both these teams are explosive, fast, speedy teams. So um, that might have had an impact. I don't think it had a huge negative impact on the game but I suppose after the match when people are trying to to look back and say how the game was affected, that's one of the topics of conversation that came up in the immediate after match from the coaches but in terms of the arena itself, you know, yeah, the argument here is seven and a half thousand people packed capacity. I met several people that said they were trying to bring another five or six people and couldn't get tickets. So without question, if this was in either Metricon in um, Gold Coast or in the Gabba in Brisbane, there would have been 25,000 people mm-hmm. plus at it. But that's for another day. In all fairness to Brighton Homes Arena, it was the first ever game play there, first event play there. It was an electric atmosphere. It's a fantastic setup, fan, uh, fantastic um, facilities, brand new, and the place was buzzing from start to finish. You know, the gates opened. The game started at one uh, forty local time here, and it was due to gates open at eleven forty. And at eleven o'clock, there was about two thousand people queuing. So, wow. the, the other thing that the AFLW crowds do is they turn up and they turn up early and they make a day of it. And there's no running in. The yeah. gate when the national anthems are being played around here so there was a small bit of um, not panic but there was a small bit of surprise at the start with the the amount of crowds that arrived earlier and there was a little bit of a waiting time to get in but all that did really was, was add to a, a brilliant atmosphere and in fairness to, to the line supporters they travelled in numbers out of, out of Brisbane and from around Queensland as well so yeah you really would have loved to have seen it in a bigger stadium I don't think it's something that will happen again it just really was um, a victim of 
the sudden change in dates of the ceiling which or in the season which saw all major stadiums booked out for other events you know yeah. like Metricon Stadium had Guns and Roses playing for, for God's sake and there was cricket at the Gabba so I don't think we're going to be in this position again we got through it it didn't um, overly neg- negatively impact the game in, in that the pitch held up and um, the crowd that was there enjoyed it and the atmosphere was brilliant Yes, and that came across just in the coverage of it here as well. Like the Brighton Tone, it looked uh, fantastic. It's just, I suppose, the question is with women in sport and with, you know, equality and everything that should be happening, it's um, the, like grand finals, I think, and I think you'd agree with me, deserve a bigger stage, but they got a stage that they uh, were able to deliver a cracking final on, which was the most important thing. Before we leave the AFLW Women's Grand Final, we have to talk about the third Irish player that featured uh, last weekend, Mike, and that's somebody you and I have spoken an awful lot about this season because she's been one of the most consistent players in the AFLW and that's Orla O'Dwyer heartbreak for her but when she takes a chance and steps back she can reflect on a really really positive season fair point? Absolutely Jerry. look at that I met Orla afterwards and I was chatting for about 20 minutes and heartbreak is the word the Lions players were devastated as a group Orla was personally devastated her mum and, and dad Brian and Mary were there I met them before the game they were devastated so they really felt like they left it after them a little bit and uh I suppose in in the immediate aftermath of a grand final loss, the, everything is going to be wrong. You're not you're not going to expect anything else, but disappointing. But I said exactly what you said there to Orla that in in with a bit of time to reflect, she'll see that she had a brilliant season. And in fairness, um, on the day the two demons girls got the medals, but Orla Dwyer was without question the best Irish player on show. You know, uh, she had uh, behind eleven disposals, two marks, six tackles two centre clearances um, playing as she did every other game for every other round across the last few seasons so um, she's had a meteoric rise she it was without question one of the stars of the game you know I was just looking at her stats in the build up to the grand final and across four seasons I think her average disposals per game has gone from seven and a half to a peak of 14 and a half in her all-star or Hall Australian season last year. So that's top of the top numbers, you know, absolutely brilliant. So yeah, she was personally very disappointed. She played very well herself. And the other thing that you have to remember is Brisbane Lions have now lost three grand finals. Like they won one two seasons ago, but they have lost three. And there's a core group of their foundation players that, that are the rock this team is built on, the likes of Ali Anderson, Emily Bates, Bro Coon and the captain, they've all now lost three grand finals. So again, I suppose um, the players were saying it after and Orla was saying it like, when you win one, it actually makes it harder to lose one after because you know what that winning feeling is. So look, of course they're disappointed, but um, even herself and talking to Craig Starsovich after, they're confident they'll be back. Everybody is looking forward to a little bit of a break. Two seasons of one year has had a huge impact mm-hmm. on everybody, on players, on staff, on the clubs. So uh, six months now seems like an eternity to season 2023, but I think everyone's going to be glad of a bit of time to reflect. Um, But yeah, I think Orla can be very proud. Her parents were very proud after flying out for the final. And everybody here at home uh, should be very proud of Orla, who's a, a fantastic ambassador for us. And absolutely 100% endorse that statement as well, what a player she is and what a player she uh, continues to be. But we wrap up the uh, season 7.0, as you said, AFL. You said it was like two seasons for the players. I can concur with that, Mike, because for the media and from our coverage point of view, it feels like we've we've squeezed in so much over the last 12 months. But we're not finished yet here on the big red bench. But for now, um, AFLW season 7.0 is in the record books. Melbourne um, have got their first premiere. And uh, I know that we're talking to you live from Melbourne and I know you're wife and family are demanding that you come home so I'm assuming you're going to be travelling back to these shores soon is that correct? 
It is, Jerry. Yeah, I, I, obviously, I was up in Brisbane yesterday for the grand final. I'm back down in Melbourne. I have two more days um, um, back to business with some meetings with the clubs and stuff again as the focus turns to to next season. Um, but yeah, I have to come home. <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't uh, have said demanding. Too- Your wife is is, is would, would want- like to see you home. Sorry, I'd like to go home. I'd like to go home and see them as well, of course, Jerry. But yeah, look, it's been two weeks. Um, it's fantastic to be over here for that length of time. I've got a huge amount done and achieved. Met a huge amount of people. But even just getting in and around the clubs you know I, I was at club training sessions across the different clubs I was in the dress rooms before preliminary finals and after grand finals just to be down in the dress rooms yesterday after the grand final to mm. see the, the team celebrate and see the family and friends in and to see Goldie and B. she's now known at Demons with tricolours wrapped around their shoulders you know um, enjoying their achievements because it was a phenomenal achievement I, I, I don't think it'll sink in fully for another few days but I'm sure it will um, but you know all fantastic experiences. Um, even during the week, I got to go to the the W Wars and met so many players and coaches and stuff like that. So this is stuff that's absolutely fantastic for myself as well, and, and a great experience. And uh, I head back to Ireland with a renewed vigor now. And but a, a little rest is definitely incoming. But then um, you know, there's excitement looking ahead as what's potentially down the line for season twenty three and some more players to go over and all that. But for now, I think yeah. It's a bask in the glory of the two medals from the weekend and uh, just acknowledge the achievements of Goldie and Blaine. It's absolutely fantastic. Couldn't have put it better myself. And you scrub up well, Mike. We saw the, fo- the photos of the W Series. Yeah, you, you certainly didn't look out of place with the old uh, Dicky Bow and the whole lot. So fair play to you on that. And look, uh, in all seriousness, everybody here in Cork Street FM, Big Red Bench, and m- myself personally are indebted to you for not just uh, your coverage whilst over in Australia, but throughout the year. You've brought AFLW um, here to us here in Cork on the Big Red Bench into a wider audience, spread the gospel, explaining why it's so important and what ambassadors and role models, Irish ambassadors and role models we have. Playing over there, and never has there been more players, and even more possibly to go next year. There's a whole lot to look forward to, and we, you and I, on the bench are not finished yet. We're still going to get another couple of ounces out of you between here and Christmas when we're going to do a review of all the Irish players of the season. But for now, Mike, uh, safe travels from Melbourne uh, back home to your wife and family, and uh, thank you once again here from everybody on the Big Red Bench. And thanks to you, Jer. Thanks so much. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Resident Corks Red FM Formula 1 expert Sarah McKenzie-Foley joins me on the Big Red Bench to review the 2022 Formula 1 season and give her assessment of the good, the bad and the ugly from another action-packed year. We talk Ferrari, Mercedes, Red Bull and who's going to stop two-time world driving champion Max Verstappen in 2023 and much, much more. Now, it is time here on Cork Street FM's Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast to review the good, the bad and the ugly from this past Formula One season. And there was a lot in each of those three character, uh, in the categories. Delighted to welcome back our resident Cork Street FM Formula One expert, Sarah McKenzie Foley, to talk us through what was a very exciting year and a lot of positives as well as the, uh, the ugly and the, and the bad negatives. But... Uh, Sarah, it's very well, you're very welcome back to the show. How are you? Good, thank you. Yeah, happy as always to be chatting with F1. Indeed. Um, let's get the ugly stuff out of the way, he said, uh, because there was quite a lot of ugly stuff, but you've pinpointed two main uh, topics from, from this past year, major talking points as well, and rightly so. Let's start with something I thought I'd never say, but the tractor on the track in Suzuka, and not really laughing about it, looking back at it now, why was this so ugly and such a bad look for the uh, for Formula One? Yeah, so as you say, there were plenty of things I could have picked, but I suppose the biggest things that stood out for me when I thought about the season as a whole were two things to do with driver safety. 
And really, I think in 2022, it shouldn't be, I think, as big of as an issue as, as it still is. And I think both of the situations that we're going to talk about are things that could have been prevented and that were not caused by drivers. So the tractor on the track in Suzuka was to do with the horrific conditions that they had there in terms of the torrential downpours that were happening. And there ended up being a an actual tractor recovery vehicle on the racing line as cars were passing it. The entire field passed this tractor as it was on the racing line. And it was very, very scary almost zero visibility at that point. Um, and the exact same thing, very, very similar thing at least had happened to Gilles Bianchi in 2014 at the same track, which led to him unfortunately passing away. And it really was just, I think, the ugliest moment, I think, of the whole season because it could have ended so, so much worse. And we were very, very lucky really that that it didn't. 100% agree. I mean, we were lucky to have so much in-car footage this year. There was some exciting overtaking. There were some fantastic moments, some scary moments. That was the scariest because I think it was Sebastian Ocon and I think somebody else that came around that corner pretty much at full speed. They just barely left their foot off the throttle and then you see the camera footage and there's just, there's a bloody tractor which could have killed them uh, instantly. I think as well as that, I'd add on just very briefly to that, the FIA's reaction or lack of reaction to the whole thing, would you agree, yeah. was just as ugly? Yeah, they pointed the finger at Pierre Gasly for going too quickly under red flags. And that really, you know, I understand keeping to the rules, but that really was not the, you know, the prominent point at that time that needed to be spoken about. I found it very bizarre and very telling, really, that the reaction of the FIA was to point the finger back at the drivers when, you know, there there was no driver that gave that tractor the all clear to come onto the racing line. That was a separate issue. Um, and it was all just kind of bundled together and it was really just very, very ugly, to be honest, that reaction. Indeed it was. And speaking of ugly, the other ugly incident was an equally, if not more scary uh, scary one. Again, FIA disdained with the whole thing. But the Saudi Arabian GP drew a lot of attention because of the fact of where it was being held. And in Jeddah, uh, for people who don't know, there is a war raging there and a missile landing a mile, just over a mile away from the track whilst there was a race going on. Whether it was a race or qualifying was irrelevant. And I think it was, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Sarah, it was Sir Lewis Hamilton. Uh, your own favourite driver who in fairness brought it up and said what are we actually doing here if there's a missile landing within uh, you know a mile and it, it sparked a huge conversation and of course as soon as something else happened and they went on to the next race the conversation died but there has to be serious questions asked of the FIA to take a race into not necessarily a war zone but if there's a missile landing a mile away from where you are holding a sporting event any other sporting event get, you know packs up and leaves but not Formula 1 yeah, it's, I suppose, you know, again, on the, the list of things that as a Formula One fan, you're not happy about having to answer for, or at least try to answer for, it's it's things like this. It's really times when you question how much the FIA cares about money versus how much they care about the safety of the drivers. And that was a, you know, not, I'm not necessarily expecting them to predict that these things are going to happen, but it, it did worry me that the response after this happened was no the best thing is to continue to race it's not fair to the fans you know we've been assured that the drivers are safe I I don't know how you can make assurances of that to be perfectly honest I think that was probably you know that was a bit of PR there and it really again just makes me feel it just makes me feel icky 
honestly is is the word really that that kind of comes to mind about the whole thing because it that should never have gone ahead it really shouldn't it should not they are the ugly parts of the season before we get to the really positive one here on the Red FM uh, Women in Sport podcast with our resident Formula 1 expert Sarah McKenzie Foley let's talk about a couple of bad moments as well from the past season one that you've highlighted and one I agree with completely the World Drivers Championship being won with so many races left a combination of Max Verstappen's dominance but I suppose your point here is that the chasing pack in the field that you would have expected the challenges we were hoping for uh, just never materialised Sarah yeah it was unfortunate you know we saw some really exciting racing at the start of the season between Max and Charles and it just fell off far too quickly and you know then we had the Mercedes that were struggling hugely with their car eventually they got there but not enough enough time to kind of compete and really the McLarens and the Alpines were too busy kind of fighting for fourth place to to really get in there and they just didn't have they didn't have anything to hold a candle to Red Bull really and it's just a shame, you know, you always want to see it go down to the wire as much as possible. And yeah, it was just, it was unfortunate. So I put it down as bad just because I think the the final races after it, until we got to Abu Dhabi where, you know, that final place in the constructors and the, the second place in the drivers championship was being confirmed. I do think there was a bit of a lull mm. in the races in between Max winning and then that final race, which is, which is disappointing. Indeed, not as disappointing as the FIA's mismanagement of the whole budget cap process. Can you elaborate briefly on that? Because again, God, we're really having it in for the FIA, but they deserve it. This is this is ridiculous, and, and more deserve criticism of them. Truly, it has been an awful year um, for these these kind of you know these PR disasters, I suppose. But it all comes from bad governance, bad decision making. You know half hushing things up they don't want to have a conversation about this they push announcements back about penalties and you know even just getting confirmation that teams had actually broken um the regulations and and kind of breached the cap was was difficult and it it shouldn't be that way you should have transparency in the sport at least in the governance side of it and there really really wasn't and you know many people said that the penalties that were given out were not enough it's it's just really hard to to have confidence in a governing body that continues to make bad decisions and to just shine a really negative and, and frankly embarrassing oftentimes light on, on the sport. 100% agree. That's very well said and well well summarised about something I think we're going to be hearing a bit more about in 2023 um, with the whole budget cap and how it's managed or mismanaged in this instance. And your final bad point before we get to the good stuff, um, <laughs> the fall off in the effect of 2022 regulation changes as the season progressed. What do you, what do you mean by that, Sarah? Yeah, so we spoke a lot before the season about these huge regulation changes that were coming in. The cars were going to be racing more closely due to the aerodynamic changes. Therefore, we would hopefully have more overtaking. You would have heard Sky F1 in the last race of the season talking about an overall increase of 25% in in overtaking year on year. But I would say that that was sort of on aggregate across all of the races. And, you know, we had more than 20 of them. That's, Many of that's them, icky and iffy as well. Sorry, just to interrupt. Yeah, yeah, go on anyway. That's statistic. I'd love to see the stats behind that. Go on. Many races, I, I've seen the stats, you know, there's, there's people on Twitter that spend all their time, you know, pulling these statistics. Um, they didn't change at all. The overtaking did not change. And I think, again, similar to the way that we saw 
the Ferraris and the Red Bulls battling early in the season the Red Bulls just they really did just shoot off into the distance and it was they were gone and I think you know regulation changes especially big ones they do take a couple of years to bed in so you know I think it would be interesting to see how those develop but whether it was overly hyped or whatever the case may be at the beginning of the season I think it just didn't really it didn't last as long as we thought it would and teams like Haas and you know they 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 in particularly stand they particularly stand out to me having had a couple of early good performances they just disappeared um, and it's just you know disappointing to see that happen indeed it is disappointing well we've had the ugly we've had the bad and here on the Cork Red FM Women in Sport uh, Big Red Bench podcast we're talking to resident uh, Red FM Formula One expert Sarah McKenzie Foley and reviewing the season the good, the bad and the ugly and now we get to the good stuff which is the good news <laughs> and uh, one at the top of the list and I agree with you completely on this was Mercedes finally getting a win after a horrible year um, they of, of all the teams on the grid they needed it more than anyone I think they really did and you know it wasn't Sir Lewis Hamilton he did miss out on his 15 year uh, record of winning a race every year but I'm thrilled for George Russell. I'm thrilled for the whole team. I think they thoroughly deserved it. And it's also encouraging, I think, to see a team come out and start so badly, really being at the bottom of the pile and just the work that they put in to get themselves to at least one race win by the end of the year, I think was just a you know fantastic kind of tribute to, to everyone in that team. Yeah, hard to argue. And Mr. Consistency, if there's such an award, definitely goes to George Russell this year. Mm-hmm. Really impressive and, and enjoyed watching him, especially when he got Lewis Hamilton as a teammate. I think that makes that makes it even more impressive. Speaking of impressive drivers, another good point from this past season. And somebody we both gave a lot of praise to because we have to. Um, Max Verstappen winning back-to-back world championships. And I suppose he's in the good column here, Sarah, and your good column because of the manner in which he did it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm kind of, aside from anything that happened off track, I think, you know, his on-track performances, even when you take away the drama, you really just can't fault him. He was supreme. He was dominant in many races. And again, no one could really hold a candle to him. And I think given, given the right machinery, I think he's really proved just how talented he is. And the fact that he can be a bit calmer, you know, we saw the Mad Max kind of side of him last year because him and him and Lewis were racing so closely. But look, it was sublime this year and you really can't kind of argue with it. No, Max has got to take some credit here. He, he didn't endear himself with some of the comments and some of the spats, as mm. you said, with Sky and with, with different things. I think that's just in his nature. But when you're a two-time mm. world champion and you've got an Adrian Newey designed car and everything is going well, you still have to drive it over the line. You still have to be, you know, the best of the best. But the sheer dominance of Red Bull and Adrian Newey's designs, I think, married with Max's maturity as a Formula One driver, mm. maybe not necessarily off the track, but certainly on it. Um, I, I mean, he's already he's already favoured for next year in my eyes. And if somebody comes up with something very new in the off-season, which is, you know, not unlikely. And one of those teams are Ferrari, uh, much maligned and uh, often screamed at in my television screen at home for many years. <laughs> but one of the good points from the season, as you pointed out, was Carlos Sainz, a good guy of Formula One, getting his maiden win. Yeah, like you say, a good guy of the sport. And it's kind of mad to think that he hadn't had a win before. But I suppose, you know, in that McLaren, he you know, couldn't really expect him expect him to, I suppose, with the, the competition around him. But... It was just great to see it happen. I think, you know, he started off the year and we were talking about him being, you know, Ferrari's second driver 
really kind of cementing unfortunately for him that seat and then he turned it around and actually had a much better second half of the season um, and obviously that maiden win is just really nice to see it happen and, and also just have different people on the podium you know it's it's nice it's nice for a bit of change and it's nice to kind of mix it up Indeed. Uh, very nice and very important to keep that mix up and hopefully we'll have a few more Carlos Sainz F1s ne- wins next year. I don't know though. We might be back in the bad column. Anyway, another big positive from this past year. Haas didn't have an awful lot to, uh, to scream about as you said earlier on, Sarah, and correctly so, but Kevin Magnussen's return to F1 and what he achieved, uh, considering the power that they've, or lack of power that they've got behind them, was another big bonus point for F1. Yeah, I think, I don't know if there was anyone really, anyone that's a a Formula One fan that was not happy to see him swap into that half seat. Um, I think just seeing him back, seeing seeing people get a second chance is rare in Formula One. And he really, you know, took it with both hands. He had a great first couple of races. We were all really, really impressed, wondering what the Haas car was going to do. And like we said, look, it didn't, you know, it didn't have the, the stamina, I suppose, to keep that going. But he did get that unexpected sprint race pole just a couple of weeks ago, and it was it was fantastic. It was just fantastic to see it. It didn't matter what the circumstances were; it really didn't. Um, himself and Gunter Steiner, it was just it was just brilliant seeing them be so happy. And look, it's tough being one of those teams at the bottom of the grid, and mm. the people that work there have to really, really pull their morale out of you know the the depths at times i think and you know they they deserve those those moments in the the spotlight i think Indeed they do and they're equally important as well just for the whole uh, F1 landscape that you know, you're not just talking mm-hmm. with the same drivers at the front you're very, you're absolutely correct there um, and he's a guy I think that has a bit of talent about him it just I don't, he lacks the power and has to do that, yeah. that next step but let, let's just see what the, the mid-season brings Speaking of power and lack of uh, before it became abundantly clear that Ferrari didn't know what they were doing uh, on the pit wall we did have uh, and there some early season battles between the two and you're saying it was one of the good things about this season that we want to see more of it next year 100% I think it was great I think Max and Charles both being young drivers and then you add Carlos in as well I think it just you know the more people that we have at the top of the grid that are genuinely battling for these race wins I think the better it just makes the sport better as you've just spoken about having different faces up there on the podium and especially the more races that we add it's not going to get any more interesting seeing the same people on the podium just more often throughout the year. It's only going to get worse. So I think absolutely the more we can do to keep the competition alive and truly alive, the better. Um, You know, news kind of emerging at the moment that Mattia Bonato is potentially not going to be with Ferrari for very much longer. So we'll see what happens with that. But I think I really hope that they can that they can just get it together, honestly, a bit more for next year because look, we all want to see them racing up there at the top and they, they have the drivers to do it. Yes, they have the drivers, um, but that's about it. I'm afraid uh, the, the the complete uh, just, uh, and this isn't really a good thing about Formula 1 this season. I think we could have had a great Formula 1 season had Ferrari driven to their potential and had the team worked mm-hmm. cohesively, which they just didn't do. I, I I'm still out a bit. I'm not as big in on the two drivers as you are. Uh, Leclerc obviously has proven himself and Sainz has a bit more to do and he did have a very good season. It was encouraging. But I think just more established drivers, you know, if it doesn't work this year and they do get it right on the, on the pit lane, well then, then what next? So it's going to be very interesting actually looking at Ferrari mm. in the off season and as you said, the changes that might or might not be coming. But our one final uh, good point from what was a very, very in- entertaining season, Nick De Vries scoring his uh, points in his Formula 1 debut was something that uh, caught your eye. 
Yeah, I think it was just, again, just fantastic to see people being given a chance. It's similar to, you know, George Russell hopping into Lewis Hamilton's seat when he had COVID, you know, and almost winning a race in that Mercedes. Um, you know, I think scoring points on your debut when you're not even expecting to be out there on the track is a fantastic achievement. And it definitely, the manner in which he did it definitely made people sit up and pay attention and, you know, essentially got him that meeting with, with Helmut Marko and and got him that seat in the Alpha Terry for 2023. So just really impressive from him. Yes, very, very impressive and one of the many impressive. And look, let's be honest, the good far outweigh the bad on the track and the ugly this year. I think we're both agreed on that. Um, the mismanagement of it and where Formula One is going and, uh, you know, will it, will it explode? Is, is there going to be saturation? That's for another discussion for another day. But a, a really good review of the good, the bad and the ugly uh, Formula One 2022 season there from our resident expert, Sarah McKenzie Foley. Where can we find you on social media, uh, Sarah, if anybody wants to find out even more about Formula One? Yes, I also have a video to NT22 review up on my YouTube channel at the moment. So if you search Sarah McKenzie F1, you can find me there. And then on Instagram, I'm MacGram underscore. And on Twitter, I'm MacTweets underscore. Excellent stuff. Sarah McKenzie Foley, once again, a resident Cork Street FM Formula One expert. Thank you for being on the Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast. And we'll talk soon. Thanks, Chair. Miss the show? Grab the Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie. Cork's Red FM. Munster Women's Rugby Chairperson Wendy Keenan is back on the Big Red Bench to review another action-packed weekend of underage club rugby, plus women's AIL playoff previews involving both UL Bohemians and Ballancolic. Wendy and I also preview the Irish Women's Senior Interprovincial Series and the Six Nations, including plenty of dates for your diaries, when and where a Munster venue will host some huge interpro and international showdowns. Now, on the Big Red Bench Women's Sport Podcast, we're delighted to be joined once again by the Munster Women's Rugby Chairperson, Wendy Keenan, to talk about a lot of action that's been happening at underage and senior level recently, and look ahead to some very important dates in both senior interpros and the upcoming Women's Six Nations. It uh, may be Christmas in the new year, but it is as busy as ever in the rugby circles, especially in Munster women's rugby circles, is it not Wendy Keenan? Yeah, it tends to be busy, even with all this rain that we're having. We're not liking it and it's, it's playing havoc with our schedule, but we're putting up with it. Putting up with it indeed. And this past weekend, uh, a lot of action at the under 14 and the under 18 club uh, grades. Uh, tell us about what happened uh, for the games that did survive the bad weather this weekend. Yeah, I mean, lots of games still going ahead at under 14, despite um, the rainfall. I almost think we'll have webbed feet by the end of the year if it doesn't stop. But um, some of the, just some of the results that are coming into us, um, just to give the clubs a mention, um, as we know, Clannacilty have two teams, Clannacilty and Clannacilty Red, and it, it's uh, it's quite funny that they have the same result from the from the two matches played. But Clannacilty came over uh, banned in twenty seven twelve, and their Clannacilty Red team uh, beat Kinsale twenty seven twelve. So quite a coincidence there for those. Um, Shannon played Richmond, and they came out on top. Lots of tries again, thirty one twenty six there. Um, nearly a local derby here in terms of they play each other quite a lot. But uh, Ballina Killaloo came on top um, for Ennis. 13 nil, and Gary Owen um, came on top against Brough 37 7, and then two amalgamations uh, Middleton Yall had 30 points and unfortunately Malin Wichelstown didn't make it to the scoreboards this week but I'm sure they'll make up for that um, in the next two weeks. So lots of fixtures still going ahead and yeah, look, just great to see all those tries being scored. Yes, very, very encouraging, especially at such a young age group and it's uh, it's the excitement and as you said, the, the results coming in and teams all over Munster getting games at this time of the year, Wendy, considering the weather, that was that that's a bonus, I would imagine. And same goes for under 18. 
Yeah, under 18, a mop-up weekend to, um, for a couple of matches um, that went ahead on the weekend off. So, uh, Shannon 33, Feathered RFC 5, Carrick Thurless 30, Balana Killaloo 0. That was a big result for them at top of the table clash there. Carrick Thurless going very strong this season um, at under 18. We had that fabulous final on a, a midweek last year. So, Brough um, played Ennis Kilrush and a great win for the ladies of Clare on coming out on top, Ennis Kilrush 31, Brough 12. Excellent. So, lovely yeah. results there. Excellent stuff and good to see some teams picking up wins at this time of the year. I mean, the bonus territory there is that the encouragement, the momentum you gain from your first win or first couple of wins, as you well know, Wendy, uh, keeps everybody going during the months, the winter months especially. Oh, yeah. And we have all those girls now participating in, as we mentioned last week, the under-17 and under-18 development programmes. So there's lots of rugby being played. And like even if when I go off for the, you know, in a non-league weekend, lots of friendlies being played under-16, under-18 that we're not even mentioning. Excellent. You know, so lots going on. Even more going on than we knew about. Excellent. A bit better again for Munster Women's <laughs> Rugby. We turn our attention now, though, to the women's AIL and a playoff, an upcoming playoff for UL Bowes. Yeah, so UL Bowes um, had a great um, win there to finish off their, their league campaign. So that brought them into the top four, finishing fourth. Um, now, they'll face Black Rock on Saturday in the playoffs. Um, Black Rock have had an incredible season, eight from eight wins from eight and uh, they lie top of the table it's an away match because they get their home advantage for finishing out on top so look at that young UL Bowls team finishing strong over the last three weeks so look really exciting to see how those players now will get on against Black Rock and further down the league then we have the playoffs um, for the, those league positions and Ballincollig will face the Tonians in that so hopefully they'll come out on top there Brilliant. Uh, still matches to be played for two of those clubs in the women's AL, Ballincollig and UL Bowes, and let's hope to get a positive outcome from both of those matches that are coming up, as you said, over the weekend. Now we turn to dates for the diary. It's that time of the year when uh, news of the senior interprovincials and the uh, women's Six Nations, uh, we're hearing lots of different things, Wendy, but you can give us some actual dates around some big matches coming up for both Munster and Ireland. Yeah, so we, we'll start with the Interpros. Um, I suppose we've, we've all our invested interest here because that is supposed to be the ground for which players are going to be selected now for, for the Irish team. Um, Greg McWilliams was very clear on that at the start of the season. So, look, great to see that. Look, TV coverage is um, is dictating when these matches are going to be played, which is great for us to see that. We're fishing it in around other matches on the day. Our first match will take place on the 7th of January and it's home match. Um, and we'll play Ulster. Our second game, the following Saturday, the 14th of January, we're at home to Leinster. And the third match, we'll finish off the campaign with an away match to Connacht on the 21st of January. So we'll have dates and venues secured um, for those, I'm no doubt, by the next time I speak to you. But I would imagine that we are going to be looking at Musgrave Park. Well, that's fantastic. Uh, does the fact that Munster have two home games, I mean, how, how important is that, Wendy, in terms of momentum again and, and the potential, especially taking on Leinster? It's it's huge. I mean, um, bringing Leinster, I suppose, down to Munster, and look, hopefully it, it could be Thorne Park, but at the moment I think it might be Musgrave Park. But bringing them, you know, they have to travel on the day. That does, you know, what I mean, make a difference. And it, you know, we think of Leinster, and we only think of Dublin. We're not thinking mm. anybody north of Dublin in the province. You know, what I mean, that has to travel as well. So, I mean, that really. I mean, Neave Briggs will be very excited to have two home games in her first year as head coach with Munster. Um, they've started their training regime. They had a trial match last Saturday. Um, selection is going to be made now, do you know what I mean, based on those those trial and the, and the sessions that they'll have again this week. So I'm dying to hear um, who's going to make that squad. Remember, we'll have players going for positions, having played 18.5 Interpros in January, and now they're going for in the same season to play the senior Interpros. 
So, um, yeah, look, it's an exciting time and um, great to have, you know, two matches there uh, in Munster. Yes, and we'll have an opportunity to preview all those games on the Big Red Bench Women's Sport Podcast here with us on Cork Street FM along with Wendy Keane and probably a few special guests as well as the New Year turns around. But a lot to look forward to there. And as we said, two home matches to begin with, irrespective of where they're played, an opportunity for the crowds to come out and to get behind this team, a new team and as well with Neave Briggs in charge. Exciting times for Munter, Munster women's rugby at interprovincial level. On top of that, not only uh, will we have excitement and uh, you know three really hectic weekends of Interpros, but we We'll immediately turn our attention then, Wendy, to the women's six nations. Yeah, very exciting uh, exciting announcement from the IRFU that the home matches will take place in Musgrave Park. They enjoyed um, you know, their Italian match last year. They enjoyed the support and the atmosphere of last season. So we're delighted to welcome them back to Cork. Um, they will welcome France um, to Cork on the 1st of April at uh, 3.15. That's a Saturday. And in round four, four, they'll host England in round four on Saturday, the 22nd of April. And that's a 2.15 kickoff. Um, you know, Greg McWilliams has come out and says that they received huge support in the Six Nations last year and they're excited to make Cork their home base for the 2023 uh, championship and look uh, I mean if if there was a camera you'd see the smile on my face we're delighted (laughs) that it's coming to Cork and mine (laughs) yeah that's fantastic it's fantastic and and look uh, let's give some credit here because I know you don't take credit very well but the Munster Women's Rugby Committee and all the people behind the scenes that organise everything like we've talked about the schools the clubs the underage and everything that goes on there's just as much effort and time and commitment goes into securing two really marquee big 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 time matches France and England coming to Musgrave Park that's huge news Wendy and congrats it is it's huge news and you know some of us do get very tired of travelling the road to Dublin every year to see matches so to be hosting them now you know what I mean the second year in a row it's just you know it's great to see and if we look back to the campaign if she can't see it can't be it do you know mm-hmm. what I mean this is another step I mean the girl, the Munster girls can watch support meet their role models and Musgrave Park allows them to get up close and personal with the players after the match and they were wonderful last year they stayed around for two hours after the match meeting all their fans so I suppose watching players who have already paved the way to the green jersey makes a difference to young girls and we need to remember that, that you know visibility is essential it's essential for our young girls to see that they can too can realise their potential uh, and uh, you know wear the red jersey and enjoy those matches and then see the players in the green jerseys as a result of how well they played for Munster in the previous few weeks so for us it's you know it's just wonderful it is, and rightly so. Already, we, we haven't even hit Christmas, and I'm looking forward to January, February, March, and April already, and thanks to those dates. And a, a lot of exciting times for people on the pitch and off the pitch associated with Munster Women's Rugby and the Irish International Women's Rugby team. Let's hope uh, the new year brings a lot of good results and positivity. And uh, if, it, if it takes half the positivity we have around the sport right now, I think Ireland and Munster are going to be in pretty good shape. I think so. I think you know we've 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 an exciting time ahead with all those new new young girls um, coming through. Do you know what I mean? Uh, and very talented players. Brilliant. Well, another action-packed week and more things to look forward to between here, as we said, Christmas and the New Year. Uh, on behalf of everybody here on the Big Red Bench, thanks once again for your time and all your information, Wendy Keenan, Munster Women's Cha- Rugby Chairperson, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you, Jer. The Big Red Bench. Game on.
Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. It has been another hectic weekend on the Munster women's hockey, interprovincials, and club scenes. Munster PRO Graham Cashbow joins me on the Big Red Bench to review Munster's Inter Pro Youth Series results against Ulster, plus all the latest results, goal scorers, and league standings involving Munster clubs in the National EY and Munster Division One Women's Leagues. Another hectic weekend of Munster women's hockey, interprovincials, and women's EY two and women's Munster. Division games are in the record books and we are delighted to be joined once again here on Corkstrad FM's Big Red Bench by Munster Women's Hockey PRO Graham Catchball to take us through all the action and look ahead to another exciting weekend of hockey. Graham, you're very welcome back to the bench. How are you? Very good now, Jared. Thanks for having me again. You're a busy man. There's a lot going on. Uh, even though it's the come, heading towards Christmas, uh, there's still so much happening. Let's start with the interprovincials. And all three monster sides took on Ulster last weekend, under 16, under 18, under 21. Disappointing results, um, but all is not lost, Graham. Yeah, so so the under 16s, under 18s, and under 21s all played Ulster in in Abbottstown last weekend. Um, unfortunately, Ulster got the better of the the monster sides and, and on. At all age groups, so the the under 16s went down four uh, nil. Under 18s had a very close uh, encounter and ended up losing three uh, two, while the under 21s went down four one to to a strong Ulster side. Um, so all isn't lost though. The the under 18s in particular um, have a have a chance still to win the the Interpro title. Um, so uh, there's a finals weekend on the the 18th of December coming up. Um, played in uh, in Dublin. Um, and Munster have been drawn against Leinster in the semi-final of that. So if they win, if they win uh, that game, they'll, they'll play uh, the winners of Ulster versus Connacht. Um, so hopefully, um, you know, they'll, they'll come home with the with the Interpro trophy. Uh, the under 16s and under 21s, unfortunately, at this point, are only playing for for third spot at this stage. So, but they they'll be competing in the the, the finals weekend of that in Dublin. Graham, to me, looking in from the outside, it seems that the interprovincials and the the quality and the level of play has risen over the last year or two since we've started covering Munster Women's Hockey here on the Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast. It's getting harder and harder maybe to get the results, but the overall thing here, I would imagine, for the coaches and the people behind the scenes is the player pathway and progression, that the 16s get ready to play 18, 18s get ready to play 21, and 21s get huge experience before they move up to senior. Yeah, that that's exactly it. And, and, and I suppose, in fairness to the to Munster branch um, and, and some of the some of the coaches involved, they have now set up academies as well. So there's a there's a feeder from kind of you know the age of fourteen all the way through um, now at this point, where whereby you know girls can 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 make um, uh, these interprovincial panels before the actual interprovincial panels, and and then I suppose they feed through and, and eventually hopefully represent Munster and then. Out of the back of these Interpro weekends, then Irish squads will be selected and, and hopefully we'll have Munster girls in those squads as well. Indeed, let's hope so. So results not necessarily going their way this weekend for Munster Women's Hockey Interpros against Ulster, but a lot to look forward to, as Graham has outlined there on the 18th of December, taking on Leinster in the under-18 semi-final with a chance to get to the Cider where they might meet either Ulster or Connacht, and still third place to be played for in the other age groups, 16s and 21s. Let's now turn our attention to this past weekend's result, and we start with the women's EY2 league and uh, a good win yet again for UCC um, and another clean sheet Graham Yeah super win for, for UCC away to, to NUIG um, who would be a strong side particularly at home so always a difficult place to go to to, to get a result um, UCC started the game at, at, at a frantic pace and actually took the lead uh, within two minutes 
um, through uh, Abby O'Mahony. So, yeah, they, 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 they pushed on from there. And, and I think it was a goal per quarter then, Lauren Chris, Emil Sullivan and Ennio O'Donoghue adding to those goals. Um, and and look, what looks like, I suppose, a comfortable victory, but it is never comfortable going to going to Galway and playing in, in often uh, trying conditions. Um, so a great win for them. It gets their campaign kind of really up and running now. They have a game in hand over over the teams um, above them. So currently sitting in in fourth place in that group, but but certainly that win, it, it, you know, if they were to get it, would actually put them joint top. So definitely an opportunity for them um, ahead to to climb that table quickly. Indeed it is. Good result there, as you said, up in Galway and well done to UCC, winning 4-0 in the women's EY2. Now, we turn our attention to women's Munster Division 1 and again we we, we earmarked and we pointed at last week on the podcast, Graham, uh, between two two Munster teams, two Cork teams, Church of Ireland and Ashton meeting in Munster Women's Division 1 and did they deliver or what? Yeah, certainly another thriller um, uh, between Ashton and and, and Church of Ireland. It's, It's really becoming a a rivalry that's producing great games. Um, so, yeah, it ended three all, but I suppose that, that it was a really uh, a, a game that ebbed and flowed. Um, Church of Ireland going into a, a two-nil lead in the in the first half, and um, Ashton coming back to two all, and then Church of Ireland scoring close to the end before before Ashton equalised just before the final whistle. Um, so again, like a really really close encounter. Uh, the goals for Church of Ireland coming from Kira Sexton. She got two goals. And Nicole Clark, who got their, her first goal this this season, and for Ashton, then Susie Nolan, Kate Harvey, and and Emma Nagel on target. Yes, and uh, a fantastic result. Or fanta- sounds like a fantastic game. Uh, finishing three all. Another Cork team involved. Bandon getting a big win over Belvedere as expected, and joining the front runners in women's Munster Division One. Graham. Yeah, it's it, it's really uh it's really close to the top of the league now. The top five teams are only only separated by one point. So. So Bandon kept their their foot in the door with a with a good win over Belvedere at the weekend, and Harlequins as well um, had a comfortable seven 0 victory over over Waterford at the weekend. So you've got Harlequins and UCC at the top and fifteen points, and then right behind them Ashton, Church of Ireland, and Bandon on fourteen points. Uh, so it's a really really close league. It certainly is. Exciting times ahead, I think, in the closing stages of this year's Women's Munster uh, Division 1. Fantastic to see, as we said, uh, as you said, one point separating the top five. Um, and for Bandon in that 5-0 win over Belvedere, a hat-trick for Olivia Roycroft, Ingrid Burns and Katie Desmond also getting on the score sheet. And Harlequin's excellent 7-0 win at home to Waterford. Yvonne O'Byrne getting a brace, Emma Cripps, Evie Martin, Anna Keel, Joy Sampson and Julia McCarthy also scoring. So the goals far and the goal difference column going very well for both of those car clubs so well done to Bandon Harlequins and Church of Ireland and National as we said a six goal thriller ending three all lots of excitement this past weekend and I would imagine even more so in the coming week because we've got Irish Senior Cup Irish Hockey Trophy and an important Munster Senior League fixtures to look ahead to Graham Yeah so I suppose first up on, on Thursday evening UCC travelled to, to Black Rock in the Thursday night um Fixture. This is um, UCC's game in hand over over Harlequins at the top of the league. So, you know, a, a draw will be enough to put them on, on top of the league, but they will be hot favourites going into that match. Um, and, and I suppose they follow up that game then and they play again on Saturday um, in EY two. They host um, Ulster University Elks um, in the Mardike. Um, Harlequins in in EY two also travel to Galway this weekend. They play Galway Hockey Club. Um, in, in what will be another tricky away tie, um, never easy as I say, going up to, to Galway. 
Um, in the in the cup games then, so in the Irish Senior Cup, Catholic Institute who are who are flying high in EY one, they host um, Old Alex who are, who are also going very very well in the, in that division there in fourth. Um, so that'll be a very very interesting encounter on on, on Saturday afternoon in Ross Bryan. Um, and in their hockey trophy, Bandon will be looking to continue their really good form of late. Uh, they host Mosley in 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 Bandon Grammar School. Um, on Saturday, uh, Mosley, of course, the team I suppose that uh, beat um, beat Ashton in the previous round on uh, on, a, on a penalty shootout. Um, so some really exciting games to look forward to this week. Um, and again, I suppose you know um, we would be wishing all the Munster teams all the best in the national competitions as usual. Indeed, we will. Lots of action, as we said. There's also uh, Munster Examiner Cup, a competition for teams not in EY2. Belvedere taking on Ashton, Limerick taking on Church of Ireland and Waterford taking on Crescent. And, and just before we finish up, a quick check on the women's Munster top goal scorers. I love these goal scorers charts. So that's why I always include them, no matter what the sport, Graham. But Kate Harvey of Ashton has knocked in eight goals this year, as has Olivia Roycroft of Bandon and Emma O'Sullivan of UCC. And they're followed close behind by Beth Ann O'Farrell of Cork Harlequins on seven and her teammate Yvonne O'Byrne following her her goal scoring uh, this past weekend she joins her as well on seven goals and at the top of the women's EY1 it's Catholic Institute after eight rounds with 19 points they're a point ahead of Loretto um, and th- uh, four ahead of UCD and then six ahead of Oladix and in the Monster, uh, women's Monster Division 1, we keep talking about it because it's so tight at the top. Kirk Harlequins lead at the uh, joint top with UCC on 15 points apiece. But UCC do have that game that you just spoke about against Blackrock on Thursday night. That will dictate the outcome of that. May well push UCC to the top of the table. But Ashton and Church of Ireland and Bandon all on 14 points just behind. Really exciting times in Munster women's hockey. Graham, lots of excitement to come over the coming weeks and uh, here on the Big Red Bench we'll follow it every step of the way. Thanks again for coming on to tell us about all the latest happenings in Munster women's hockey and we'll talk to you again soon. Brilliant. Thanks a million, Jar. Miss the show? Grab the Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie Neva Bond qualified for the current account.ie All-Ireland LGFA Junior Football Final following a hard-earned victory over Monaghan's Castle Blaney Falls in Ballivorney last weekend. The Big Red Bench was on hand to get the winner's immediate after-match reaction. So, you're about to hear from All-Ireland final bone Neva Bond players Rosie Corkery, Amy McDonough, Grace Murphy and winning manager Noel McDonough ahead of the Cork Club's decider with Galway's Saltail Knocknacara in a fortnight's time. Uh, Rosie Corkery, you're into a junior All-Ireland Club final. A fantastic moment for you and for the club. How does it feel? God, it's incredible. The crowd here today is just phenomenal. I've never seen the place so packed. We're normally here playing old training, empty, empty stand and all, but oh my God, I can't describe it. It's, it's incredible, yeah, to be out here at my... You know, the girls you grew up with, we started playing with. It's unbelievable, yeah. Yeah, you're on the road since the start of the year as well. Club, Munster, and now this. It's serious effort. God, yeah, yeah. Look, we started training um, probably back in January. Um, we've been playing ever since. We had a great year at the club. Um, you know, it comes in waves. We won the under-21 and I think the minors won as well. So, incredible. Look, you can't complain. Playing playing football now coming into December, you, you couldn't write it. Talk to me about Castlebany Falls because they really put it up to you. God, they did, yeah. A tough bunch of girls, all right, yeah. Um, look, we've never played a team, obviously, from the north. But they were a tough, physical, strong side. Um, they really put us up to us. They kept fighting till the end. Um, we were just we were lucky to come out in the end. And what does this mean to the club? I mean, it's such a, a big, a fantastic community effort but to get to an All-Ireland final. 
God, it means everything. All I have to do is look around you. The crowd here today, you know, coming through from Kilimarcha, Clonjod, Balavorna, Kule, the flags up, everyone out today to support us. It's absolutely incredible. It brings the community together big time. It's unbelievable. We don't know who you're playing just yet. The other semi-final result isn't true, but it doesn't really matter because the way you're playing, if you just play to your strengths, you've every chance in this final. Yeah, exactly. Look, we try to focus on ourselves as much as we can, stick to our own plan um, as much as we can, you know. But um, yeah, hopefully, look, hopefully we get over the line now the next day as well. But even just being here as a bonus, really, it, it's unbelievable. A lovely moment for you and for the club. Rosie Cork, congratulations. Go enjoy. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. <laughs> um, congratulations, Amy, on an All-Ireland Junior oh, Cup final beckons. How exciting is that? Oh, I can't even put it into words the way I'm feeling right now. Like, everyone's just saying about it. I don't think it's settling yet. Like, oh, I'm just <laughs> so lost for words at the moment. Um, that was a really tough test you got today. You were winning well, and then they came back at you, Castle Blenny Falls, right at the end, and you had to defend well, but you defended well all through. Yeah, oh, I cannot, cannot, um, like, say, talk about my defence enough. They were just unbelievable today. And, like, we knew in the dressing room coming out of halftime that they were not going to give up, that they were going to come out and fight harder. And they obviously did, and they really put it up to us. But we're just lucky that we just kept it out, kept them pushing them, pushing them the whole time, and it really did pay off in the end. You had a bit of time to prepare for this game and this opposition and the pitch and everything was in great nick. Did that rest after the Munster final help you? Oh, I definitely think it had like, a big event. We, we could push on with the training and everything. And like, I suppose for them, they had to fly over to Holland last weekend, last weekend. And like that would take a toll on you, I suppose, in the end. But you wouldn't even notice it in them today. They really did fight. But uh, yeah, like we've been training so hard the last three weeks now since the Munster final. And everyone has just been giving it their all. And yeah, the home pitch and the crowd coming out was just the best thing ever. So it really did pay off in the end. Looking forward to another Ireland final. And what about your supporters? Oh, I know. Every single one of these supporters who follow us there are just unbelievable. And yeah, I, I don't know who won the other one or when it'll be, but um, I just cannot wait for it now that like, some of us have, like, haven't been around the last time this team got to an Ireland final. So we're all like fresh legs and we'll push on even harder for this one and hopefully it'll pay off again. Congratulations and best of luck in the final. Thank you very much. Cheers. Uh, Grace Murphy, congratulations. Thank and you. all Ireland junior final beckons. How does that feel? Uh, great. We've never got past the county in like 19 years, so it's great to be there. Um, huge effort today, it took a huge effort, conditions weren't easy with the wind and everything else and a really tough opponent but you, you, you did what you had to do. Yeah we did, definitely everyone kept going towards the end so thank God there was a bit of blanket defence going on the end. So. <laughs> a lot of excitement around the area and around the club and there's going to be even more excitement now with an All-Ireland final to look forward to. Definitely yeah, there's flags everywhere so it's great support. And what about this team? Tell me about your teammates and all the efforts you put in this year. Um, we've actually been going since January because I'd say 10 out of the 15 are on the under-21 squad. So it's been a long time coming, nearly a year's training. Uh, but well worth it and deserving now. Yeah, definitely well worth it. And just finally, how much are you looking forward to that Iron final? I can't wait. Maybe it'd be better if it's over and we win it, Mr. Luck. <laughs> Congratulations. Thanks well so done. Much. Thank you. Thanks. Noel McDonough, what a day for Neva Bond, for ladies football, not just here in Cork, but in this region, and all Ireland junior final beckons. You must be incredibly proud of your players. Yeah, I suppose that was a real tough affair out there, out there you, know? you know. A lot of people were saying that we're at home and we'd all the advantage. That brings its own pressure. But I must say, the girls stood up today. They played really well. We had a bit of homework done on, on these, and uh, we knew they were good. That if we were very strong players, we, we managed them well, you know. And they dug it out, and they had to dig this game out today because Northern football is tough, and uh, this was a tough game for us. But we are learning the whole thing. We're getting, we're improving every day, and, and bring on the final. Um, you held them scoreless in the first half uh, from open play. They got a couple of frees, but considering the conditions and considering the defensive effort, you must have been really happy. That was the foundation you built your win on. Yeah, it was exactly the same. The game against Ula, we played against the win of that game as well, and we did the same. We were level at half time against a strong wind. And today, we knew coming out if we could play against the wind, 
and, and keep the scoreline down. We put them under pressure, and then we had the forwards that could punish them. <clears throat> and we had a lot of scores, good scores on the board against the win in the first half. We ended with three point lead. That was fantastic, and we built on that thing, you know. And I knew if we if we could kick on with two or three or four points in the second half, that you know we'd be hard to catch, and that's the way it turned out. Is it momentum, Noel? I mean, I know there's a huge amount of green off on and off the pitch, but does the fact that were you le- were you anyway worried that you didn't have a quarter final coming into it as well because they did? Yeah, I'm not sure the momentum. I mean, I think the rest was good for us as well. You know, I mean, they, these were in, in Belgium last weekend, another game, and if you build yourself up every week for championship games, it can be difficult. And like, we had a bit of a rest. We we didn't train too hard this week. You know, it's all about rest and, and girls fit for the, today's game. And I think it stood us actually. You know, in fairness, to, they came down travelling again today, like a seven-hour trip. And in Belgium last weekend, that was difficult. You know, so fair play. They put over a great display here today. Talk to me about your own supporters, the bunting, everything up and uh, all around the ground on the way in as well. It's been a fantastic. It's really, and your club at other underage levels as well, the winning now has become a good habit. Yeah, we're doing well. I mean, as I say, we've, we've won a minor county B last year, another two-year county. And this is the team that this year, with a few older girls in the, in the mix, you know. And we have a good blend here now. And as I say, it's great for the humans, it's great for the club. And, you know, uh, ladies football is very strong in, in Avebar now. And, Success will bring even more success, hopefully. You know? um, and all earned fine. We don't know exactly yet who you're playing, but who cares? Because you're there now and you're something to look forward to. Yeah, listen, it's going to be a massive build-up. We've, we've two weeks to prepare now. And uh, we'll clear up the injuries, any knocks after today. And we probably won't train too hard for next next week or two. But we're on the road again, you know. And look, it's going to be a massive build-up. It's going to be a great occasion for the club. And these guys are doing proud again, I know. All right, Donna, congratulations. Best luck, buddy. Thank you very much. That's it for another Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast. Remember to subscribe to The Big Red Bench on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. You can also listen online at redextra.ie. Don't forget to tune in to The Big Red Bench with Rory O'Hagan, Colm O'Sullivan and Valerie Wheeler between 6 and 7pm on the radio every Saturday and Sunday. Follow The Big Red Bench across all our social media channels as well as visiting our official website redfm.ie. The Big Red Bench, Saturday and Sunday from 6pm, Cork's Red FM.